Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey listeners, just a quick note. Be sure to stick around after the episode to hear thoughts on 2021's Candyman. guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Come with me. The hook brings you back. Whoa. (laughs) On that, you can rely. Welcome back to episode nine of 31 for 31. 31 for 31 is a daily podcast for the month of October with a movie each day organized into a playlist leading right up to the hallowed Hallow's Eve night of the 31st of October. We're bringing you all of the best movies to get you geared up for the holiday to make a whole meal out of the month. And as you can probably tell, if you listen to episode eight on the lore, we are bringing the hooks, fish hooks. You get the, you get the connective tissue here. We got a lot going on uh, right on in to Candyman, which we I'm pretty sure didn't even give a joke about trying to tease. We just pretty much said everything except for the music man. Um, but I had a whole slate of jokes trying to make start this whole thing off with three minutes on how the music man is actually a Halloween movie because it's a Pied Piper movie. But I don't think that we would uh, gain many listeners that way. So we're going to go ahead and talk about the true nugget here, which is Candyman, which I'm very excited to talk about today. It's uh, it's obviously hot at time of recording. The new Candyman has not come out at time of listening. It may have come out. So we are. Uh, excited for Nia DaCosta's new look at a spiritual sequel there, uh, which we'll talk about as it relates to this movie in a bit, but definitely one that I think hits the nail of just the type of movie we're trying to have energize us on this list for for Halloween. Um, but personal favorite of mine, and I just want to kick it off, we should probably you know lay this on in post, but Put on all of the soundtrack, just hyping me up in the background during all of this. I am a huge fan of this Philip Glass soundtrack. So good. My two favorite Philip Glass tracks are both named after housing projects with two last names. So Cabrini Green and Pruitt Igo from Koyani Squatsi. So those are the most hype <laughs> songs of all time from two very different movies. But we kick this this uh, this movie off right with that exact kind of choral amazing organ theme but this really is uh the most urban legendy of all our uh our picks this this month and i think it really plays into a sense of you know the the your local boogeyman your local urban legends 
The idea that kids are not safe always plays into it. There are little razor blades and candy in this movie, so no argument to be made out of this being a true Halloween-y kind of feel, but just a really interesting thing to explore now, pretty much 29, almost 30 years after its release, just being uh, probably widely regarded now with Jordan Peele and other people recognizing it by putting money into a sequel that was way ahead of its time and just a very cool thing to look at and, and think that probably was received as lukewarm as it was because the, the kids weren't ready. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't think anyone was but ready. Your kids are going to love it. Your kids are going to love it, you know. So definitely a blast. And, you know, I think the iconic character of Candyman with his hook, with his backstory, with his bees plays very well into just kind of stark imagery that you would see. Again, that idea of having a VHX box that pops. <laughs> We've got it here. But um, I think this story is actually very interesting and it ties into a lot of fiction that I think I like a lot. And, you know, I'm not going to say it influenced those things, but I'll give some examples that I think it has really interesting mythology that, you know, in terms of looking at a villain in a horror movie as someone who knows they're the bad guy, and is trying to just be the bad guy, as opposed to a bad guy who's trying to do his ends that other people could view bad. This person knows they're a bad guy, but it's still sympathetic. And I think that's an awesome line that they're able to dabble on really quick. But but anyway, yeah, I think the, you know, the Chicago setting is very crystallized great in how it lends itself to opening up a lot of very, I think, appropriately handled by the movie race situations, pretty much horribly handled by the characters <laughs> race situations. Um, yeah. We're gonna die. But, uh, sure. but ge- generally speaking, it's just the idea that there is a ghost of a lynched man who fell in love with a white woman who now kind of gets his power from feeding off of this urban legend about himself and what that means for him trying to have a romance under that guise, you know, and what that means for what he would want for like the person he's in love with, which is, I think, a very interesting. I think Chris texted us like, wow, I forgot how much this was about falling in love. You know, <laughs> but it's like it is. It truly is. Yeah, it's way more of a romance than I right, remember. But just set the scene, you know, we get a great intro kind of idea of this. Let's tell the story of Sand Candyman's name five times in the mirror. We get a you know, a fictionalized account kind of with Ted short Ramey. film at the beginning with Ted Raimi, who looks just like Sam Raimi and is just unnecessarily playing a biker high schooler while being way too old. Let's uh, take a, a moment just to talk about that opening scene because it's such a great, the way the film is structured, those first 40 minutes before we actually meet the originals Candyman, we're just seeing we're basically hearing about him in all these different settings. And I love how this opening one, which you could argue like it wasn't actually Candyman, if this story even exists or if Candyman was even the culprit, but it's just such like a, oh yeah, this couple, like it's, it almost seems like farcical and over the top. Yeah, like, it's like a diluted whitewashed version yeah, of, exactly. of a true urban legend as we'll find. Yeah. yeah. And even a little bit before that, can we just talk about how amazing that opening sequence is just with the credits? Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I flying I, over. I didn't the know freeway. if that was clear enough when I was talking about the Cabrini <laughs> yeah. Green theme, but that is all layered onto the credits. And, uh, yeah. you know, makes it seem like you're about to watch something religious, which I would argue it is. It's beautiful. I mean, just turning it on and it's starting with that. I was like, wait. I completely don't remember this movie from the last time oh, I watched yeah. it, remembering it as like a slasher film kind of rip off in my head. And it started off and I was like, oh, 
I think a lot I'm, of people associate I'm, it with the B scenes, which are yeah. not the strongest scenes. No. I mean, the imagery is not, really strong. There's not the even that many But once once you're in it. But just that starting, I was like, oh, I'm actually going to kind of like lock in. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, you make sure that. I'm full in on this. You bump that soundtrack. It's a movie that almost kind of like Hellraiser, which we might touch on later, <laughs> that like people like maybe have not seen it, but are just aware of its influence of pop culture. So when they do sit down on remember yeah. the wrong bits and pieces yeah, yeah. sometimes that kind of dilutes the vision, you know, and it doesn't have it's less, I think, generically exciting as some other kind of Halloween or horror theme movies where you just remember a few of the crazy kills or crazy moments and they don't always replay as well. It's more of the surprise of it where this is much more tone and emotion yeah. and you're really drawn in slowly. A lot of the kills are hilariously matter of fact, like almost yeah. work for Candyman. They're like, OK, you need me to kill this guy. You said my name. I will kill him and we'll move on. You know, but <laughs> yeah, I and think it's also not really like easy for him in a way where like other slashers. I feel like it's a couple stabs. It's this and that. It's a quick <laughs> it's kill. A this is like he actually, he actually has to like drag. Dude, I thought about that. Yeah, like, this has got to be one of the worst ways to go. A hook sounds so painful. Truly eviscerated. Yeah. And Tony Todd puts a lot of weight into the performance. He's a huge guy, but he just like him going at these people. It's not a clean swipe. And then we get an insert shot of damage. It's just like him dealing with I am currently eviscerating a person while staring at somebody else in the eyes like it really handled well. He, he deserves to be the final he's, destination. If guy. he if he took off that beautiful jacket, he's probably got crazy biceps and triceps <laughs> oh, yeah. under there. It's implied that hook work just by his <laughs> posture. But I think the cool thing about this, too, is like I I. I Obviously, you know, it's a Clive Barker sh short story, you know, and I, I think that, you know, that's set in Liverpool and it moves around and obviously it's more whether it's British class versus race. And I think the race is obviously a lot clearer for American audiences and probably just better use overall. But yeah, his his short story, The Forbidden, you know, goes into like great lengths of like what exactly they're researching or whatever, which kind of it's more about like graffiti, which is kind of boring. I don't know. I don't it's not better than Candyman, let's put it that way. But I do like that it's just said as like two young graduate student women who are doing a semiotics research on urban legends fall across something that's like an urban legend down the street that's really spicy. And they're like, this is going to be a great research project. And 45 minutes is just like you rooting for them to get good research, yeah. <laughs> which is just like it's very fun once it you know unravels from there and becomes like, OK, just survive or like have your soul removed. But um, it, I think it's that's why people might only remember little bits and pieces from the beginning, because if you're just going into this waiting for slash slash slash, there's a lot of character work up front that just kind of sets the themes of the movie really well. And then at the end, it's so frenetic that it's like, oh, my God, I guess I needed to save all my energy for this. But we've got Virginia Madsen, who does a fantastic job just being very inquisitive, a little privilegy, trying to kind of be this interloper in Cabrini Green housing projects to just talk to these people who are obviously dealing with something she sees as a masked gang issue that they're someone's attributing Candyman to themselves. And we find that that is true, but it's a, it's a red herring. And that person just also happens to live in the same building where there is a Candyman, you know, there's, a, there's, you know, kind of the double bluff there. Um, and she does a great job just trying to hone it in and make it a very personal discovery you know like why a lot of times when you have horror movie characters that are trying to discover lore whether it's the ring or other things and you just get the blank screen of like vermont murder last name 1912 enter and then you just get an exposition drop like 
it's almost like, why are you curious? Like, why are you doing that? Or like, okay, I guess it's just easy to find all this information. They spend 45 minutes of having a person who has a very particular reason to want to know more about this. So it's very explicable. And then she has to really get it out of people. You know, like people aren't just going, oh yeah, Candyman, let me talk to you about it. Like it's something that she really has to work on, which I just would watch that movie too. Just like somebody talking to people about fake urban legends. I mean, it kind of is like, you know, like I said, the opening scene, but like, it's really like the opening 45 minutes is almost its own somewhat self-contained story. It's like an X-Files episode or something. Yeah, it could definitely be an X-Files. And, and, then it, and maybe at the end, you're kind of left ambiguous. Yeah, so yeah Was yeah. it that guy or was <laughs> it really him? You know, there was a bee left over. Exactly. And then it, it approaches a subject that could have very easily been exploitative or like silly slasher, which could have been fine. But it's pretty amazing that they took this story, which is as layered as it is, and structured it in its very DNA, like the story as it unfolds, it's all in service of this greater narrative, which really sets it apart. Yeah, and it's only 100 minutes long. Think of the amount of lore that you learn in 100 minutes with a lot of character work. And I feel like it plays on a mix of urban legends and then the true stories that had kind of happened in the decades earlier in the 60s, 70s, and 80s where someone would be attacked or something would be happening in an urban area at night and no one would call the police or they called the police and they couldn't find anything then that person ended up killed and you know there's a few examples of it that have gotten blown up and and the proportions of it aren't always right with how many people called or reacted to it but it it became this kind of story this myth of these characters who cried out for help and no one saved them and this kind of plays off that into a bigger urban legend as well yeah and i like that it's like oh in the movie we're talking about how this is an urban legend that reflects the society but really it just is true but that it's like well we're watching a movie and that actually isn't real so we are reflecting that society (laughs) so it's a it's a layered bit and i think just the relationship between you know another lesser movie would have Candyman just be a white person slayer, like a redemption character for this is the guy killing racists. And that would be an easy character to root for, you know, like a lynched man coming back. That could be a B movie, a hundred percent. The ghost who kills the people who are racist or taking advantage of people in this Cabrini Green project. He kills mostly people who are poor members of this community. That makes you think like, why is what? Like that doesn't match his character. And that's kind of the second part of this movie that I like a lot is that it doesn't become necessarily about how he died. It becomes around and the people responsible for that. His power comes from the context of how he died. It becomes this greater power that I relate a lot to American Gods, which is a favorite book of mine. The whole basis of that is that gods continue to exist in lesser form from all traditions, just based off of people's belief in them. And they derive their power from belief. And I think that that's a really interesting thing there, that at the cost of killing, he does speak very openly about, like, I had to kill innocent people. I had to do X, Y, Z. But it's so that he can derive power from the belief that comes in this spectacle of how he murders them so that he can be more powerful. And that kind of relates to like what he's inviting, you know, when he said, when you hear be my victim, it's like, what's that invitation like that? What's the deal? You know, and for him, it truly is like you can become, you know, strike you down. (laughs) You'll become more powerful than you ever imagined kind of thing where it's like if you become this victim with me, I can create you as this part of the urban. It's like a sacrifice. I mean, live in romance together. Yeah. 
And there's so many layers to that. I, I, you know, it's just a ridiculously layered character that I think sometimes just gets a little bit erroneously boxed into the Bloody Mary category of just like, oh, this is just an interesting looking person that gets Bloody Mary. It's like, no, this is really someone who's like grappling with his own evil and immortality and choosing to like revel in it in a way that kind of makes sense. You know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, something that I give the movie a lot of credit for actually entertaining. And then the main character eventually, as we see, <laughs> buying into it yeah. and kind of like taking the mantle of being like a you know a vengeful powerful person who just is like everyone in my life turned on me now i go out and choose to just live this specific type of existence which is just like power and at the cost of anybody else i don't care screw humanity kind of thing which you know we'll see how it plays into i mean it, it feels like we you know. should just dive into the sequel we haven't obviously seen it but it is interesting to see that it feels like it's going to be taking a lot of these themes and expanding them in a way that makes sense. From what I've gleaned from the trailers, I think it's very, it's like a great sort of stepping stone for a spiritual sequel. We're returning to Cabrini Green, which has now been gentrified beyond recognition. <laughs> right. Which is a little easy, yeah. but it's like, right. what else are you going to do? It literally got torn down in the last you yeah. know, 10 years. So I was wondering, did either of you guys watch the unrated cut? Or was it just? The I've seen it, not regular recently. rated cut. No, I've seen that one too. I was wondering. I didn't know if there was any differences. I had just seen that Shout Factory had put out the restoration, had the unrated cut. But oh, I'm, I'm sure I did that not would be less. physically buy it in time. I, I'm sure that would be less important moments. Like the gore isn't yeah. really it for me. It, yeah. and it's very yeah. disturbing right. to me. The um, the therapist scene in particular, which we already kind of talked about, is this. Oh, the, oh that's God. the best kill. Yeah, and then he jives out the window. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But yeah, um, the, the backwards fly out the window is yeah, pretty just is pretty I, I don't care if I see the ropes. See you later. But back to the sequel, I think the interesting thing is like uh Yaya, who I don't remember his last name, but I call him Yaya, and I think he's great in Watchmen and Trial of Chicago Seven, and he's a fantastic actor, is gonna be playing Anthony, the baby that is kind of the sacrificial pawn throughout this movie that gets rescued and turns Virginia Madsen into this sacrificial savior at the end of the movie. And I think that'll be an interesting thing to play, that he's just been kind of linked cosmically, literally raised for months by Candyman's honey. <laughs> like so um for him to come back and be this person who's like betraying the community or something like that and, and introducing Candyman back into, you know, society and giving him power. I hope that they they give, because we haven't even talked about the Candyman himself. Tony Todd, just oh, yeah. unbelievable performance, who yeah. shows up 45 minutes into the movie immediately takes command just Dressed just, the just grabs the film by its neck you know yeah. i hate to say it hooks you immediately and just the film takes a complete turn all buzzing <laughs> with energy just yeah. completely takes over the film and just hit his his pre you know like obviously the first 45 his presence is felt we get glimpses of him and we hear a lot of characters talking about him but then when he shows up in that parking lot and it's just like crooning into the camera like be my victim and he's huge yeah he's this, he's he's like so seductive in a way and the way his voice just like yeah and and i read <laughs> they actually they did use uh hypnotism and and trances on set during the production and they they worked with the actors to actually put them in trances and especially the scenes um when candy man is around and like the scenes with the bees to to not have just 
typical screaming, crazy horror movie reaction. They really wanted the the trance and the you know the nightmare and that kind of emotion to come through. And it's the kind of thing where when he shows up in that parking garage. I had forgotten that that's the initial scene you see him. Uh, it had been a while since I'd watched the movie. Yeah, broad day, <laughs> broad yeah, daylight. It's broad daylight parking garage where you're like, nothing good happens. And then he shows up. And I was honestly like, if I was in this situation, I had nothing really going on in my life. I would just follow him <laughs> anywhere. Like that would like, that is just no a trans move. That's required. a power move. Yeah. yeah I'm, where, where do you want to go? Because like, y- this is some confidence that is turning <laughs> me on. Yeah. And I think like a lot of what I appreciate about him that, excites me for him to come back and what i can see from the trailers of just kind of like they're talking about me again i'm hip again so i've got power again i love that aspect of him but i think just the actual you know specifics of how the trauma of who he is and why he became an urban legend is what empowers him is an awesome thing too you know just having his entire ribcage be this honeycomb you know that makes him invulnerable basically having the stump hand that is the hook that they gave him now is the thing that he kills people with i think is just a continuous reminder that like they're you know from seeing him to all of the muralistic depictions which is kind of going back to the short story more of how he's just kind of plastered all over caprini green's messy you know derelict apartments um it's just always calling back to the fact that it's like sure he's this person that exists now in this bloody mary capacity but it's always reminding of this other external struggle you know that's like this is this external sense of racism that had incredible violence that of course you can just plot that line and now you've got people living in a derelict apartment complex in poverty and obviously you know a privileged woman coming in to see that i think it's just so palpable especially watching it now like i think that sadly in 1992 a lot of those things would be like Oh, this slice is seed. You know, it, you wouldn't it wouldn't have the same right. impact because we didn't have proper conversation and enough films about that kind of thing yet. But it's so obvious now that it's like, wow, they planted all these little seeds that you don't see in a lot of 1992 movies, sadly. You know, and that's yeah, you know, in the tapestry of every single shot that you can think of in in at least in the in the projects that take place there. I also think it's interesting that the original story, which I haven't read, but I I believe it has nothing to necessarily do with racism it's not set in america and the director yeah it's more just like like class it's more just i guess class like a english class system and and but i think the director apparently just saw cabrini green bernard rose as the director saw cabrini green and was so drawn to this like this monument the failure of project housing in chicago if not the nation and just how we just let these minority populations down so he would just saw this like, yeah. potential and you know reinterpreted it in this way which just gave it such power and i think he i believe even tony todd was the one that sort of contributed to the character of Candyman before he was like basically wrote the backstory for the character so it was such like a collaborative force to like come up with this huge parable of just like exploring racism in america and like you said, Cody, like this is a 92, like we're not, sadly, weren't having these conversations necessarily, but it makes. Or if we were having them, they were just like embarrassingly, you know, dry. Yeah. And, you know, matter of fact, like we can still all be one America. It's, you know, the, there was no level of nuance to anything like this in any horror movie. Let's put Yeah. It or even like a lot of horror um, movies. And I think it's almost it goes to show that like horror in a lot of ways is transgressive and progressive ahead of the game a little bit. 
And I think when people ask me, why are you a fan? You know, it's just like Candyman in its face. It's just a hook guy. It's like, no, because this is the most, you know, it gets you in a visceral enough filmic language that your guard is so down and that you're more suggestible to taking in bigger ideas just through the ultimate metaphors of just life and death and things. And, And I think that's why this works in a way that's so stark because it's like if this was just the research project movie you'd be like oh that was thought-provoking but you get Candyman in it and you get the death and violence and and the actual fever dream of it and it affects you on this completely subconscious level so that's my thesis for liking horror (laughs) movies that have political language which is most I would say that are good um but on that note too I think like this one does take some steps back to its benefit to just focus on the character and the character does not speak about racial violence or the state of race in the 90s. There's no speech where it's like, this is just the same as what I experienced just with a new face, you know, and that yeah. could have happened and it wouldn't have been bad, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't do that. And I'm curious about the new one just because and the character just never even gives his own history. It's just you just hear it from other people. Right. And, you know, or it's like it was always you, Helen, and you look at the mural. It's like, oh, OK, I yeah. guess he sees the other woman in her. Got it. You know, but he's not given like a whole set of this is my point of view thing. But the yeah. thing that excites me about the new one is like my favorite part. The the theatrical trailer is very kind of meat and potatoes. I know, yeah, it's I fun. know exactly you know. where we're going. Go with it. <laughs> teaser is phenomenal. I would watch the teaser as a short film. It's so its good. And like I think it's it takes, you know, of course it's this beautiful puppetry shadow puppet um animation and it just basically plays the music box theme from this movie in the context of the original Candyman lynching, the a similar lynching in the context of like Jim Crow, and then another in the context of white flight. And it just has this beautiful ending that has all of those characters that are killed, clearly black characters by white enemies that rise from the dead in myth, you know, just kind of like emerging to become candy men, so to speak. And I think that that's something that I would like for them to play a little bit more around because, you know, this movie isn't about Candyman coming through and being a racial revenger, you know? And I I think that there's something more to be said about like specifically not let's stick it to the gentrifiers and just kill all of them because that's almost too, you know, there's a level of nuance that I'm not going to write. I'm not obviously not the person to write it, but just that teaser gave me a lot of hope for them really weaving that to continue that narrative of like this can be more than one story. This can be kind of written into the texture of America and and all of these legends can have power, you know, to come back. And I think that that's hopefully not disappointing. <laughs> As we release this, I might be no, so one, disappointed, 100%, but I really hope I'm 100%. Not. And I think there's like, you know, obviously this film, Candyman does a lot well, but it, you know, drops the ball on occasion. But I think having, uh, you know, a black woman as the director for the new film is going to help a lot you know like i think like you said like it was a a white man director directing the original and there's obviously going to be like a different perspective and nuance that is perhaps only capable by coming from someone who is black to tell and bernard rose isn't even american and to dot yeah he just took it from the liverpool (laughs) yeah he's like yeah and and not to say that he didn't do a good job or anything and but uh, I think, um, and what is the name? Um, I just uh, had it of the sequel. Um, she also 
the new Candyman, who's the director of it? What's her name? Oh, Nia DaCosta. Yeah, Nia DaCosta, I think will certainly, and from that teaser alone, I don't see that they'd be shying away from some of those themes that the original maybe touched upon or started to dive into. And it's just like, let's just like turn it a little bit more. And a lot, and it was, you know, Jordan Peele's producing it and he's already a Candyman fan. I can't imagine him. A candy letting, fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't I can't imagine them wasting the potential that this potentially could have. Yeah. yeah and and you're getting way, like Tony Todd back. It would be I'm glad that it wasn't some sort of recast or, you know, reboot that, of it. That in would that be way. sacrilegious. That's like, yeah, there'd be riots. But the, <laughs> yeah, the just the you know that it's in very, very good hands. And, I, you know, I just want to emphasize when you say Candyman sequel, we are not speaking about Bill Condon's Candyman Farewell to the Flesh on this kind of <laughs> yeah. podcast or Terry Meyer's Day, Day of the Dead. You know, it, I mean, they're doing yeah, that. They're thankfully doing the Halloween method, which is like, yeah, we're just going to forget like most of these movies didn't exist. And frankly, those movies take place, I believe, in like, I think one's in Louisiana, I think one's in New Orleans, and then one's in LA, and they just try to like take new... So maybe, you know... Tony had a busy 90s and now we do, you know, we don't, that doesn't have any bearing on Cabrini Green as a setting. Yeah. But yeah, I think just to uh, wrap up the, at least the plot notes, one thing that I did want to introduce though, is that I did love how in the middle of all of this, we're still able to have just a couple minutes to, to mention my love for an interesting infidelity story in a horror movie (laughs) i just want to emphasize that like xander berkeley's in this as the professor skis ball who she clearly you know it's maybe hinted at that she was the assistant researcher to you know when he's this like charismatic professor and now she's a graduate student and now an undergrad is cheating with him on her and you know there's some elements there that imply that and that's just such a dumb plot that is done so they, well. <laughs> like they throw it in pretty hard at the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning, it's very clear. It's like, <laughs> that's her. Okay, cool. And, you know, it, it, but they land it very well. And the performances are very good. And I think it's really something that makes the ending work. I think there's also a hugely feminist lens to this movie. You know, there's implied assaults in this movie. There's clearly just the final girl elements to it. But then also just kind of this world where two academic women are just being kind of toyed around with by this patriarchal group of fat slob, you know, self-impressed professors. And I love that it has that angle where it's like in the limited capacity that she can be an Avenger for things. She, in the end, being her burned legend self, comes back and kills the the husband who wronged her and, and, you know, and does also frame the young woman responsible, which is a little biting. But, you know, I think that could have ended or been I'm sure other people could have other points of view on this, but I think it lands well. And I think it lands in a way that gives her a lot of agency because otherwise it's just kind of, oh, you know, I'm just trying to impress this academic, you know, and I, you know, and it, because he's a cool man and I like that it flips it at the end to just be like, fuck you, I'm going to rip you up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there aren't really good feelings when you're involved with Candyman, which I kind of like, there isn't this just general redemption that you get as a character. Like you're, you're going to go to the dark side and you're going to have some fun. Yeah. You're going to be about your own power and your own myth, you know? And I think the only thing that I sometimes think about speaking of just who could have 
worn this with even more gravitas than Tony Todd is that the original choice was for this role was Eddie Murphy. And I think <laughs> like, what, what the fuck with that? I mean, it would have been, a, I, I will tell you right now, still would have been a great movie. Just would have been very fucking different movie. Like he would have been laying on charm. He would have been putting into these very broad, you know, like comedic moments that the I mean, kills would have been very different. I could have fallen into vampire in Brooklyn territory. <laughs> oh, you you wish you know but <laughs> i uh i really which think i that movie is amazing i would be interested not. in seeing <laughs> a, a version with eddie murphy which is insane like could have been wild but i just tony todd is just like iconic in this role and yeah it could have been imagine original choice sandra bullock with original choice eddie murphy and then making out with bees coming out of their mouths <laughs> like, the trailer not... is gonna be the trailer is scored to i want candy that's all i'm yeah, saying no, to that movie. Yeah, no thank you but um yeah i really think that this uh just stands well on its feet after so much time and after having kind of a okay enough release some bad you know sequels kind of falling into disgrace and now coming back and being like a diamond in the rough of 90s sub $10 million budget horror that I'm really impressed by. And, you know, I think it just shows that ideas don't have to be 10 minutes of exposition to explain the lore kind of things, you know, whereas this movie does have that 10 minutes of exposition, but and you can just go away and have a monster. That's fine. But sometimes there is a thing where you if you handle it with care, the lore and the backstory and the context can be what's scary about a movie rather than the thing itself. Not that Tony Todd just being Candyman isn't great and he has a lot of presence, but what makes this movie special is that he has a very particular story that makes him who he is. You know, in another movie that Freddy Krueger, it's not like the scene where he gets thrown into the boiler is like what we're going to talk about if we talk (laughs) about Friday the 13th, right? You know, it's like, and I think that's why you know, you can kind of forget unless you're reminded like, oh, yeah, remember Freddy's like a pedophile. It'd be like, oh, yeah, OK, yeah. I mean, it makes sense, but it's not like his driving factor. So I, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, did I say <laughs> did I say Friday the 13th? Yeah. I mean, they're well, not you know, it's a shared universe. It's a shared True. universe. You know, it's, I consider that to be another Friday the 13th movie. Have you know, we if we're going to yeah. do MCU on it. I mean, we're, we're I'm just waiting for Freddy to show up in a Predator film. Alien versus Predator versus Freddy versus Jason is something that I'm waiting for. Um, <laughs> We've gone versus, a little around the corner now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it, I, OK. Brief departure. Alien versus Predator versus Freddy versus Jason. Who wins? Do aliens sleep? Ooh. Yes. I think Freddy might have it because he just. Yeah, if, if predators sleep and aliens sleep. Okay. Although I feel like Freddy is too unimaginative, maybe, to always win out. I mean, Jason wins in Freddy versus Jason. So I th- it was a little ambiguous. All right. Here's <laughs> but Jason didn't really fare well in space in Jason. Yeah, X. true. I think that Freddy's going to like chest burst somebody in a dream. Actually, and I mean, I guess you could say Jason is almost immortal. True. I mean, you know, you make good points. I don't think Alien or Predator is going to win this thing. I think they might just contribute to the advantages of Freddy or Jason. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll save that for our other po- podcast. Destroy all monsters. <laughs> Going into the new movie that hopefully y'all have seen and enjoyed. Just sets it up with a great 
mythos, a great set of rules that I like that, you know, just kind of just define terms pretty well. And, you know, I just hope that um, one thing that I'm hoping is avoided is this sense of like, I call it the mummy-ing, like Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, where there's a lot of journey spent just having iterative process of regenerating if that makes sense like when the mummy with the when the guy steal all of the jars and yeah, he has yeah, to yeah. suck them dry i'm a mummy fan i do like those but like you know i think a lot of movies when monsters come back and have to get their power back i would hate for like if six people say Candyman, then he's gonna be back you know i, I just wanted <laughs> to kind of jump right back in and have a little bit more heart to who's being killed and even looking at the trailer i think it's pretty clear what angle they're going to take but um have that element and then throw some extra spice in i'm gonna be happy agreed agreed yeah i mean it's it's such good lore to expand on and uh you know i think it's got potential for you know candy men you know, like i mean there is a credited person who's going to play virginia madsen's character you know so like i think there's going to be an interesting layer of like how there's a lot of mirror shots with Anthony seeing himself in the Candyman, you know, so we'll see how that kind of expands and it's, takes yeah, I wonder copied if, form. I, yeah, I wonder, and it'd be funny because when this, what this episode, we'll probably have all seen it by the time oh, this yeah, comes 100%. out. <laughs> so, because it was supposed to already, it's already, it would, it's, it's done. It's sitting on a shelf. It was supposed to come out this past, right. this last Halloween. So we'll have to see, but I, I do hope it, it was certainly probably have seen it by the time this episode releases. Yeah, you know, and, and the character who plays Anthony's mom is going to be in it. Anne Marie is going to be in it, you know, so. Who, by the way, his age, not a day. Not a day. I, I, was <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> Almost fantastical element to me. Putting that on to be like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's also just such a fun, simple thing, saying Candyman five times in the mirror. It's just like, it's such a good thing for the Halloween season. Like it's it's something you think is cheesy and one of those things that just gets in your head and you're going to walk around looking at mirrors and you're going to kind of whisper it and you might keep saying it and then you're like, yeah, it's a movie, but like now am I part of this urban legend? Do I want to risk this by like, am I going to say it three times in the mirror or four? Am I like, you know, it just, it kind of sticks with you. It's been parodied and South Park and other things and become this, this cultural you know, a uh, little meme that goes around saying something multiple times in a mirror for it to appear. But it's it's a fun thing to kind of bring back in, in today's world. And especially after this year of pandemic and quarantine life, I feel like I've looked into the mirrors in my house so many times. And now it's going to be one of those things where I might like I might start saying it, but I might not do five. Just like did I, you do it? Did you guys yeah. do that where you you actually said it? I, just, I didn't. I haven't done it. I'm not going to risk it. Like I'm I not risk it. Not it's risk not worth it. it. Uh, I've seen yeah, how these things end. Like they, no one ever. Gets Pascal's away in wager. These Pascal's yeah. wager. You know, yeah. we've, we've watched so many of these movies that like the people who do this, like it, it, nothing ever ends up better. So I'm yeah. fine where and I I'm am. Like, well, that was a really refreshing <laughs> thing to do. I'm really glad. Yeah, yeah. glad I have um, that. New it will be a TikTok craze trend when this movie comes out. People, I mean, that'll that'll be fun to see. Well, I think that's an angle they might take. They should do. That'll be viral. Yeah, yeah, it just being this like kind of like the ring rings was that what happened yeah, yeah there's like, yeah i was gonna mention that i i do that love, one that came out like three or four years ago they did like i did like that element where it was like now it's a video you can just share it on facebook and then like a million people will die at once you know and i think that was 
mishandled clearly, <laughs> but maybe they'll do something similar. Well, there was another, it was a short film called Rings as well that was like a prequel to The Ring 2. The first Ring is great and The Ring U is great. And they made this short film which dives into this like basically underground phenomenon of people. A ring want, ring. Yeah, they, they <laughs> called themselves rings. And it was a really, like you said, it was an interesting element where like, kids are sharing this video around and then experiencing the weird phenomena, like the supernatural elements and talking about it with each other and being like, we got to get to a day seven or something. It, it's better than all of the ring to the actual movie. So I would check it out. It's like 10 minutes. Yeah, what a weird movie. But we're, we're getting a little sidetracked. But I would just say that Chris was saying, I do like that trope, which is in a lot of horror movies where like, you know, I guess in a sense you don't, there's no reason to actually run in the candy man as long as you don't say the words and there's a lot of horror movies that are like well there's like a very well, obvious you're sitting across a desk from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's psychiatrist did nothing oh wrong, yeah that's right yeah. i guess i guess he just got caught in the <laughs> yeah yeah i guess if you say if, i guess if you say hey you say it into the mirror I'm telling you, you wow, you end up in that cycle of violence. Right. right. But yeah, like, so, I don't know if, if his disbelief led to him being killed more, if that if that feeds into it. I, I think that those are things to be explored, but hopefully not. I think the rules are loose enough now that they work because they're defined OK, but they're not like grim. I, I call it gremlining. Yeah, yeah, I like to TM a lot of things on this podcast, you know, the gremlining. <laughs> It's not happening. You know, only gremlins can gremlin. So I'm glad that it isn't like, you know, oh, you said it, but you didn't say the last syllable. So he's only you're only going to get scratched. <laughs> like, whatever. Yeah. But um, I think if that you that, say it backwards, like. <laughs> right. And I can't remember, you know, too much of the good changes that the sequels that have already come out made because they're just horrible. But and they buffer, you know, they, they kind of bungle a lot of the rules already. But. I think that this one is going to truly just respect all of the things that we respect about the uh, the movie that we have. And I, I played that back for me as a verbatim <laughs> when I leave the movie disappointed and feel like it changed everything that I cared about. But, you know, there's hoping. I think it's in really good hands. And like we said, I think it's it's the right people are going to tell this story. And I think it's going to be a big hit, hopefully. And I think, you know, we'll all enjoy it. So I'm excited. And it, well, it'll keep was, bringing uh, people back to this original, I think, is going to be fun. Because this was yeah. a very fun revisit hook, hey, for me. Chris, how did I open this podcast? Uh, I think it was a Blues Travelers line. The hook <laughs> brings you back. You know, <laughs> on that, you could it, um, But it's just, it was it was a very, very enjoyable rewatch that had a lot more depth than I remember ever giving it credit for. And, and I think remembering it as a kid, and or I don't even know, the last time I watched it, maybe five or six years ago, was just like, Oh yeah, that that fell somewhere on a list, but I'm not really sure how it felt. And now I'm like, oh, that was you know way up there. Oh, it's yeah. Up yeah. There. People, this is my this is return. my the faculty. People, you know? <laughs> yeah. people need to rewatch this film. I think it is really impressive because and it, yeah. visually stunning. The soundtrack is incredible. The performances are great. It's just like pound for pound, a movie out of time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's definitely a gotten sweet better. Treat. I mean, that soundtrack is aged so well uh, oof, oof. Um, but I, I think speaking of nice gothic oh yeah lore i think that chris is gonna have introduce a movie for episode nine that you know really takes a sense of really well-grounded character work and 
doing less, not more in terms of what you show uh, for next episode. So I think that ties into this this uh, this watch very well. And I'm excited to give this next movie for for tomorrow a rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. Same. They, they both feel a bit like I would say melancholy nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And definitely ones where, you know, are ghosts the bad guys? Kind of <laughs> like your instincts are good, but you know, are they really maybe still, but you know, you at least shrug at them a yeah. little bit. And now so. I'm going to have blues traveler stuck in my head the rest of the day. And play us out with run around. Okay, no, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. Maybe but. the live version on, on somewhere that's, you know, filmed on a phone. We might be able to pull yeah, those rights. Exactly. Exactly. Live on Jimmy Fallon. But uh, yeah, remember to check your candy. Remember to, clean your mirrors yeah remember to uh you know not make bad remakes i would love to see <laughs> Candyman and sam hang out ah uh, that's a cute story yeah yeah he could carve him a face yeah <laughs> anyway and then bees would be related we're gonna we're gonna workshop that along with our avp script that chris and i are going to work versus with. ash williams too let's throw him in too. <laughs> yeah See, that's, that's the third one that's the versus one. the world you know, yes good. I, I do like <laughs> but uh thanks for listening this has definitely been a favorite of mine and uh excited to do another rewatch that i haven't yeah. seen in a bit big big rewatch bring your friends in to rewatch Tomorrow. this yeah the yeah get get a lot of people together to rewatch Candyman. they deserve to rewatch it or see it for the first time it's sweet very true. Make like a nice like whiskey honey cocktail. I'm not telling you. Oh, there we go. We but, had to bring ooh. a cocktail in. We had to bring a cocktail it's in. The bees but. knees. <laughs> bees knees, baby. Well, thanks for listening. We'll catch you tomorrow. A hot toddy. Oh. 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 Alright, just oh, I'm, send me a home. Todd. Tony Todd. Play hook. If it's a school day, <laughs> play hooky. I'm gonna cut I'm gonna stop recording before we hurt yeah. someone. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Cody with a postmortem of Candyman 2021 edition. When we recorded first, we were anticipating Mia DaCosta's new movie after seeing her great paper puppet trailer with the great music box theme and we're getting hyped. Now we've finally seen it and I have thoughts. I just wanted to pipe this in at the end just in case we were curious uh, listening now that it's been out for over a month. But I think we certainly all liked it. I think the one situation that we felt a little, you know, torn, just loving the original so much is the, the consideration of the hive and why we have, you know, someone taking up the mantle of Candyman as opposed to, I guess, what we had with Virginia Madsen's character turning into her own version of an urban legend i love the through line of saying you know kind of the cyclical nature of the lynchings that take place in this specific area and how this kind of cabrini green land is haunted and how that turns everybody kind of into their own version of the candy man i like that theme but i think it diminishes kind of a lot of the earlier themes of you know the whole be my victim narrative of the original candy man how you create your own legend how you stand among other legends to become the new legends in time. So like how everybody kind of rose again, like you see in that in that uh, paper puppet trailer, but kind of wish that they could kind of rise again as their own part of, you know, Candyman super team, so to speak, rather than just becoming new 
Candyman's with the hook and all themselves. Candymen, I guess I should say. And of course, just not enough Tony Todd for my liking, but definitely still fun. Definitely great ideas of integrating so much more about gentrification after Cabrini Green isn't, you know, affordable housing. Definitely super timely and great conversations had and, you know, great kills of really insufferable white gentrifier characters. But I think we, uh, you know, we'll stick with the original in terms of our favorites and uh, definitely we'll be rewatching this soon to see if we can get more out of it because I'm sure we're missing a lot. But first takes, that's what we're thinking. Three Bs out of five, we'll say for now. I won't say it five times because we all know how that goes. But thanks for listening.